Please go ahead and take out your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Samuel, chapter 17. We'll get there in a few minutes. Take us a little while. Today is indeed the second Sunday of the new year. And there's just something special about something new, isn't there? Whenever you have something new, there's a, there's a heightened sense, a heightened sense or a heightened level or a higher expectation of hope and of power and of promise. There's a heightened sense of excitement or perfection in that which is new, whatever that is. Whether we're talking about a new start to a new year, a new season, a new relationship, a new physical birth, or a new spiritual birth. This is true in all of these senses. For example, we're so excited and so encouraged, rejoice greatly with those six new souls that were baptized into Christ here in the congregation last year as they arose out of the waters of the baptistry, cleansed and forgiven and ready to begin walking in newness of life. As we begin this new year of 2020, we certainly hope and expect and anticipate with excitement as we continue to talk to people that, that perhaps we'll see several times that number baptized into Christ as we continue forward. This past year, within the families of congregations, of the congregation, we rejoiced with several new births, new babies were born into this world, and there's always that sense of purity and beauty and excitement. <laughs> Despite the slightly more winter-like day that we had around here yesterday, we know that spring itself is just around the corner, and spring is a time of new life and new growth, and we're excited at the promise, and we're excited at the prospect and the potential as the weather warms up, and there's new gardens and growth and warmer spring temperatures. It's the same idea that you see in spring training, hence my Red Sox tie this morning. <laughs> you know, in spring training, every baseball team is just convinced they're going to win the World Series that year. You know, it's sort of like the, the Red Sox won in 2018, won the, the World Series and come out of the gate in 2019 and went right into the basement, was never heard from again, basically. But that illustrates something that I want to get to this morning. With all of those new beginnings, they don't stay that way. As life happens and that which is new unfolds and evolves into the next and ever-changing stages that come, not everything always goes the way we hope that it will. Not everything continues to go as perfectly and wonderfully and beautifully and flawlessly as when it was new. Life itself, whether it's a person's physical life spiritual life, relational or recreational life, our lives are an always evolving, always changing, traveling, traveling, transforming and transitioning event. It's sad, but it's true, and we all know this. 
that not every perfect, beautiful, flawless, newborn will avoid becoming a troubled teenager or desperate adult. Not every high-flying new convert, when they come up out of that water, not every one of them will avoid eventually being brought back to earth by the spiritual trials and troubles, and turbulence, temptations that life will inevitably throw at them. The newness of hope in spring training often becomes a midsummer slide off into oblivion. Stages, phases, transitions, transformations, peaks to valleys, promise to problems, soaring to sinking. Then what? What's next? Where do we go when the bottom falls out? This morning, I'd like to take a look at this sort of concept. I would like to take a look at a very similar cycle as reflected in a Christian's life experience. I'd like to break it down not into two, but into three stages. In a sermon I've decided to entitle Christianity in 3D. Christianity in 3D. The first D, the first stage, is the declaration stage. This could be represented as the spring and summer stage, as the power, promise, and perfection stage. This could be when you're born again and you come up out of that water and you are ready to take on the world. You are ready to take on the world and win. This is the phase. It is that new start. It's that new beginning. There's nothing but power and promise and excitement. Do you remember how you felt when you come up out of the waters of the baptistry and you knew that your sins were forgiven? You knew it because you had studied and you were just ready to get out there and just take on the world. I came up swinging my Acts 238, I'm telling you. This, this first stage, this, this declaration stage, this powerful promise, this, this beginning, this new beginning stage can be seen illustrated in the Bible in a, in a number of different biblical examples. Could be seen as represented in the young, defiant, fully complete David of 1 Samuel chapter 17, crying out about this, this giant nine foot tall warrior who'd been a warrior from his youth named Goliath, it would be David crying out, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Verse 26 and 37, isn't that awesome? What a declaration. Look what he goes on to say in 1 Samuel 17, beginning at verse 41. It says, so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. Now 1 Samuel 17, 42. And when the Philistine looked about and he saw David, he, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, just a kid, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Can't you just see David looking up at this guy? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. 
I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. They're sending this kid out against me. David looks up at him. And I know David looked up at him. David was a teenager. This giant from Gath. Huge. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Isn't that an incredible declaration? Wow! David's starting right out in a pow! Fully confident in God, fully confident that the God who has delivered him before will deliver him this time. There is no doubt in his mind. As a matter of fact, if you read that next verse, look what it says. David hurried and ran toward the enemy to meet the Philistine. David's not cowering. It's not like he said this. He's thinking, uh, maybe I should have rethought what I just said. And that's not what David's doing. David meant every word of it. He charges to the fray. He is fully confident in God. Fully confident. This first D or declaration stage can be seen in other biblical examples. For example, it can be seen in John the Baptist. John the Baptist powerfully and publicly proclaimed that Jesus Christ was indeed the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world in John chapter 1, verses 26 and following. John chapter 1, 29 through 36. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There was no doubt in his mind. In fact, during this first D or this declaration stage, John the Baptist doesn't only do that, but he also, he also dresses down the Pharisees and the Sadducees on the banks of the river, right there in the midst of all the people that had come out there, in the midst of all these people that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were seeking to impress. John the Baptist let them have it, both barrels, in public, in his declaration stage, so full of faith and confidence is he in God. Look at me in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Look what, look what it says there about John in verses 5 through 10. Powerful stuff. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, now again, keep in mind, these Sadducees and these Pharisees, it was everything to them to look good in front of people. And you got all these people they are trying to impress and look so holier than thou in front of coming out there. And right in the midst of all of this, John the Baptist says, you nest of snakes. My Bible says you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. This was their defense. Well, Abraham is our father. That doesn't amount to anything. For I say to you, God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And can't you just see John the Baptist pointing at the rocks beside of the river? He's able to raise up children to Abraham from these rocks. 
And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every good tree which does not bear good fruit, I'm sorry, therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Man, he is not afraid. He is not ashamed. He is not going to be held back. He just goes bang. He is fully and completely confident in what God had told him in his first D, the declaration stage. This first D, this declaration stage, can also be reflected in the story of the prophet Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see Elijah, and he's confronting King Ahab, not servant Ahab, King. He's confronting King Ahab. King Ahab had called him the troubler of Israel in verse 17 of 1 Kings 18. You know what Elijah said to him? To the king. He said, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. He said, I haven't troubled Israel. But he looks right at the king. He says, you have. You and, by the way, your daddy's guilty too. He didn't just take him on. He said, your father's guilty too. The whole house. Wow. Take a little faith and confidence in God, wouldn't it? And if we, if we were to read that whole chapter, talk about standing alone. I want you to consider this. Elijah then goes on in 1 Kings 18 to stand alone against all Israel, King Ahab, 450 prophets of Baal, plus 400 other prophets of Asherah on Mount Carmel. What follows is one of the greatest victories that is ever seen in history. It's incredible. It is simply incredible. The king is embarrassed and defeated. All Israel turns back to the Lord. And all 450 prophets of Baal are beheaded. Verses 19 through 40 of 1 Kings 18. What a declaration by Elijah. And finally and fourthly, this first D can also be seen, this declaration stage of Christianity in 3D can also be seen in the Apostle Peter's life. Stop and think about some of his beginning. What did he say in Matthew 16, 16? He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus praises him for that. He goes on to say in Matthew 26, 35 to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Wow, Peter. Even if it means you die? Yeah. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Isn't that an awesome declaration? Isn't that an awesome, just, just powerful, faithful, incredible yes? What a great start for these guys. What an awesome, powerful thing. And listen, if you truly studied and you really understand what God did for you when you, by faith, buried that old man of sin in the waters of Christian baptism and you rose up to walk in newness of life, if you really understood what God did for you at that point, this declaration stage is you when you came out of that water. You've got to understand that. You've got to understand it. That was your new beginning. That was a fresh start. That was the forgiveness of all your past sins and the mechanism in place to forgive any sin thereafter. 
You come up out of that water fully forgiven and full of faith and fire. Ready to take on the world and win, didn't you? I did. I hope you did. Man, that was good. Loved that to finally know I was forgiven. I come up ready to steamroll Satan and to stop at nothing to get to heaven. Because I knew I was forgiven based on the word of God. Just like all of those great men of God that we just mentioned, just like they all who came up so strong and they were, they were ready to go, if I may use an old title of an old Phil Collins song, just like with all of them, something happened on the way to heaven. Something happened. What happened? Well, it's called sin, life, losses, and circumstances. It's called time, chance, heartache, and disappointment. It's called fear, temptation, unfairness. It's called things not working out the way you had always hoped, the way you had always thought, the way you had always planned and pictured they would. I may quote a line from my book, More Than Conquerors. Time passed, struggles ensued, Satan struck, and you succumbed. The mountaintop experience became a downhill plunge. The second D descended. Enter stage two and the second of the three Ds. As even the best of men's victorious strength and confidence in God quite often at some point struggles. And they go from that first D, they go from that declaration stage to the desperation stage. We see that in the lives of these same four great men of God. Remember, once faithful and victorious little boy David, this, this uncircumcised Philistine be just like one of them. He going down. Remember that boy? Time has gone by, and he has now succumbed to Satan's snare, and he has become an adulterous, murderous, and somewhat merciless man of the world. He's become desperate. And when he realizes what he has done, when he is confronted with this horrible, awful stuff that he's done by Nathan the prophet, David becomes a very hollow, very empty, very broken, very desperate man. His joy is gone. His gladness is gone. His confidence is gone. And the faithfulness of his earlier walk with God is now completely gone from his life, his heart, and his soul. Turn with me to Psalm 51. Look at how this David who started off so strong in his declaration stage over time entered and was overwhelmed by his desperation stage. 
Look what he says in Psalm 51. After Nathan the prophet confronts him with his sin. You can see David's desperation. As he cries out, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. David is just dying and pleading and desperate. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David says, I want you to wash my sins away. I want you to, to get them out of your sight. But he said, I know what I've done and it's always right there in front of me. My sin is always before me. I know what I have done, God. For I acknowledge my transgressions, he had said. Verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. This is not the same David who took on Goliath. This is a desperate man. This is a broken, hurting, empty man. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. He's lost all of that. There's no joy in his life. There's no gladness. There's just desperation. The bones, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He says, God, I need you so much. I am so desperate and so broken and so busted. He's lost it all. His joy, his faith, his confidence, it's gone. And I want you to understand that this is not the only place in David's life where he experienced this sort of incredible desperation either. There are a number of us in this room who have had to endure unthinkable and unimaginable suffering from the one place we thought we never would. At the hands of our very own adult children. And if that's you in this room this morning, understand David did too. In 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 19, read it later this afternoon, in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 19, we see the terrible, awful, sinful, devastating conflicts within David's own children that caused him more years of pain and sorrow and tears and desperation, rape, incest, murder, revenge, and even, even one of his sons, Absalom, seeking to kill David, rebelling against David in Absalom's jealousy, seeking to kill his father, his own son. David was indeed a desperate man. This second D or desperation stage can also be seen in the life of John the Baptist. He who had so powerfully and publicly proclaimed that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that he was the Son of God, there was no doubt. What happened? Well, he went out full of confidence and he kept on declaring it. He kept on declaring the truth. What happened? For doing the right thing? 
for just simply standing firm on God's word and God's law, what happened? John the Baptist was put in prison. And he would soon be put to death. I don't believe for a, for a second, that, or a heartbeat, I don't believe that that's what John the Baptist always thought. You know, when you start serving God and you start really just pouring your whole heart and soul into it, and you give up your life and you become a living sacrifice, and you put everything on the altar, and you get out there and you serve God with all you got, and you stand firm on the truth, the last thing that you expect is to wind up where he wound up. Isn't that right? You think, how did I get here from there? And so, John the Baptist, the one who had once been so confident in Jesus Christ is in his desperation stage. Because just like so many of us, when life doesn't work out exactly the way we thought it would, John the Baptist, too, begins to doubt and to wonder and to question God. And in his desperation stage, we see in Matthew 11 and verse 2, that he sends men to question Jesus. And you know what they want to know? John sent us to ask you, are you really the one? D did you get that? In the beginning, in his declaration stage, John says, he's the one. But when life didn't work out quite the way he always thought it would, what does he do? Sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you sure you're the one? <laughs> Are you really the one, or should I look for somebody else? Life, pain, circumstances, hurt, frustration leads to the desperation stage even of one who had been so sure in his declaration of who Jesus was. If we were to read 1 Kings chapter 19, we'd see the same thing with the victorious prophet Elijah. Elijah, who had defied an entire nation, he defied the king, he defied 850 false prophets. But then life happens. Jezebel finds out about it. And if we look in 1 Kings chapter 19, in his desperation stage, the second D, what happens? Elijah winds up running for his life. That's what the text says. He ran for his life. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Verses 3 and 4. And you know what else he does? Not only does he run for his life, this, this man who's just had this incredible victory, this man who has just 850 false prophets and he shamed them all in the king. And he's turned Israel's heart back toward God. He's had this magnificent victory. He's running for his life and he actually prays to God in chapter 19. He prays to God to take his life because it just ain't worth it anymore. You want to talk about falling off the cliff? You want to talk about going from a confident declaration right into the abyss? of desperation, Elijah did. And then there's Peter. Peter who had so powerfully declared, you're the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew 16, 18. Then later on when the pressure's on, what does he do? He denies that very thing three times, not once, not twice, but three times. And the third time with a curse, Matthew 26, 69 through 74. In verse 75 of Matthew 26 goes on to say, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, You'll deny me three times. And so Peter, 
Peter had been so confident in his declaration stage, in his desperation, it says, and he went outside and wept bitterly. Bitterly. Here's a man who was willing to take on all kinds of armed guards with just two swords a few minutes ago. Now he's crying like a baby, bitterly. The tears are flowing. Peter is a desperate man. Things hadn't worked out quite the way Peter thought they were going to. Say, Doug, this is a sad sermon. <laughs> no, it's not a sad sermon. Because here's what I've been waiting to get to. Here's what I've been anxious to get to since I get up here and open my mouth the first time. Stage three. We gotta understand that the story doesn't stop at stage two. It's not a two-dimensional picture of Christianity. This is not where the story ends, brethren. And we need to take heart. Stage two is not where the story ends. What's the whole point of 3D? To see things more clearly. And we need to see our lives more clearly through the eyes of God. Listen, for those of us who come up in that declaration stage so full of faith and fire and ready to take on the world, but then all these things happen and life doesn't work the way we thought it was going to and, and we get disappointed or, or we sin against God and we get frustrated and we get down and we get depressed and we get desperate. If we hang on to God through that desperation as much as we did through that declaration, if we understand God is the same person when we're desperate as he was when we got started, there is a beautiful and powerful third D for us. There is an awesome, incredible, infinitely powerful third D that comes into play for us. Remember, yes, I'm holding you up with pencils in hand. Do you remember those, when those movies first came out where to get the 3D effect, you had to put on the red glasses? Y'all remember those? It wasn't that long ago. I don't know if they still do that anymore or not with all they can do with graphics, but you used to have to put on these red glasses and, and only when you put on these 3D glasses did you get this other dimension of what was going on. Brethren, we need to put on not red 3D glasses, but the well-read, R-E-A-D, spiritual glasses so that we will see things through the eyes of God and understand there is a third dimension to this. And that third D is deliverance or destination, whichever you prefer. 4D sermon when it sounded right. So the third D is deliverance or destination. This is seen with King David, who calls himself, quote, the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is what happened with him when he was delivered from his great desperation by the grace and the power of God. And David is king. After God's grace was lavished upon him, after his broken heart, his contrite spirit caused God to come in with his full grace and power and forgive David. This is what happened to David. David went on to have many years of service and to accomplish many great and wonderful things to the glory of God in the years to come, 2 Samuel chapter 23, 1 through 5. And after all of that, after the strong declaration, after the plunge off the cliff and the desperation and the heartbreak, after that triumph and that tragedy, 
and his eventual renewal and deliverance. David died and went on to his destination in paradise as a man after God's own heart. God delivered him and gave him his eternal paradisical destination. Now, you're going to have to work with me here a little bit. I do not mean to introduce anything into the text that is not there. I just want you to think with me. The scriptures do not come right out and tell us that the two messengers that were sent to Jesus by John the Baptist, the scriptures do not come right out and tell us if those messengers ever made it back to John with that message before he was beheaded. They don't. We're left to wonder. We do not know the answer. However, I want you to think about this with me. Whether they ever made it back to him or not, I find it a lot harder to believe this one who was the forerunner of Christ, who was the New Testament Elijah, this one whom Jesus commended and spoke of so highly in Matthew 11, 7 through 15. I find it far more difficult to believe that he was not taken to paradise and will not be in heaven than that he was and he will. Just me, take it or leave it. But if they did, and again, the scripture doesn't tell us, but if they did make it back to him before he was beheaded, and they told him all those things that they'd seen Jesus do, and they'd heard Jesus say, if they did make it back, then every indication from his history, everything in his past that we do know about him, would say that John the Baptist would have an attitude very similar to the Apostle Paul's as recorded in Philippians 1.21 where Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If they got back there, everything in John the Baptist's history that we know about him following God, it would perk up his faith and it would make him more like the Apostle Paul and his attitude as he faced certain death. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, where the Apostle Paul said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearance. Now, I know John the Baptist didn't know anything about the faith once delivered for all the saints in the same sense that Paul did. I understand that. But every indicator from John the Baptist's history that we do know would say he was much like the Apostle Paul when it came to serving God. And if they got back there, I have no reason to doubt that his attitude was somewhat similar. This third D, this deliverance, this destination can also be seen in the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. And I want you to turn there with me, would you please? 1 Kings chapter 19. Go ahead and turn there. We've talked about his incredible victory against everybody in chapter 18. We've talked about him running for his life in his desperation stage in chapter 19. I want to show you what happens in his deliverance or destination stage because God is awesome. 
Watch this. 1 Kings 19, verse 13. He's running for his life, hiding in a cave. He's a desperate man. You can hear the desperation. You can sense it as you read the text. 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 13. So it was when Elijah heard it, wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I don't know how God said that. I don't know God's tone of voice. Script doesn't tell us. But our God is so awesome and so loving, this great and faithful servant of his who's now just desperate and scared and fearful. I can't see in my mind God saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? But more, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God knew what he was doing, but he needed for Elijah to voice it. And so Elijah responds, said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. You see, Elijah doesn't understand. Life hasn't worked out the way he thought it was supposed to. He thought, you know, he's in the midst of his victory and everything's going well. Then he has to run for his life. He's hiding in the cave and he's prayed to God to take his life. Things haven't gone quite the way he figured they would. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek my life. Can you see the desperation as you read those two verses? He's hiding in a cave. He's confused. There's fear. There's hopelessness. I'm the only one left. You can see the hopelessness. But look at God. Look at the deliverance. Look at the destination. Look at the next couple of verses. The Lord said to him, Go. Return your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It'll be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Do you understand God's deliverance and response to Elijah's desperation? God says, look, Elijah, I'm paraphrasing, look, Elijah, after everything you've been through, I'm still in control. I still have a place for you. I still have work for you to do. I still want you to work with me and for me. And above all, don't miss this church. If, if, you, if you're one of those people that's been in that desperate spot, don't miss this. Most of all, do you see what God tells him in that last verse? God tells him, do not lose heart because you are not alone. I have reserved 7,000 just like, you're not alone. What does he say? He tells God, he says, I'm the only one left. God says, no, you're not. You may be desperate, Elijah. You may be hiding in a cave. You may have run for your life. You may have prayed for me to take it. And I get that, but Elijah, you're not seeing things through my eyes. You're not alone. Isn't it wonderful to know when we struggle with things and we think we're alone that we're not? Isn't that awesome? God says, no, you're not. I got... Not seven, not 70. No, I got 7,000, Elijah, and I got work for you to do. 
Stop looking at your life and your desperation through your eyes and start looking at your deliverance through mine. Now go to work, Elijah. Our God is an awesome God. Throughout the next number of years, Elijah, who had experienced this victorious declaration phase of following God, and then had endured a devastating desperation phase in following God, goes on in his life because he held on to God, to enjoy many a successful mission for God after his deliverance by God as well as his eventual destination from God. Turn to me to 2 Kings chapter 2, would you please? In 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, detail the events surrounding God's taking Elijah to heaven in a whirlwind. Verse 1, it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah, take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went, etc., etc. These detail those events, and there's a number of things here that occur. But not only did Elijah go on being delivered by God from that cave to work for God and understand God was still in control to all these wonderful things. But when the time came for his destination, God didn't let him down. Look at verse 11 of chapter 2. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? You may recall later on when Jesus went up onto the mountain to pray in Matthew 17 and Luke 9. It was Moses and Elijah who were there to encourage him, to talk to him. Of course, we know what happened with the Apostle Peter. After his desperation stage where he went outside and he wept bitterly, he denied the Lord three times. The angel said to the women, according to Mark 16, go tell my disciples and Peter. Did you get that? See the deliverance by God? Even though Peter has gone out and wept bitterly, he's denied the Lord three times, third time with a curse, Jesus Christ himself wants to make sure that Peter understands, Peter, I'm still in control. I have the love and forgiveness you need. I still want you. I still have a job for you to do, Peter. Tell my disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And then there was that morning on the beach in John chapter 21 where Jesus Christ himself reinstituted Peter, if you want to use that term, let Peter know and reinstituted him. He still had a place for him. Remember, the Lord had prayed for Peter even prior to his failure in Luke 22, 31 through 32. And so Peter goes on from that point to experience the sweet renewal of forgiveness, deliverance, and many years of teaching and preaching and joyfully serving in and to expand the Lord's earthly kingdom 
before being delivered into the heavenly aspect of it as his eternal destination, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 11. Christianity in 3D. Our Christian walk displayed in three phases. The declaration, the desperation, and the deliverance or destination. What about you? Where are you in that scenario? Have you even begun that new life? Have you even heard about Jesus and you're willing to trust him enough and you realize you've messed up your own life? Are you willing to trust him enough? Are you willing to buy faith in God be baptized because that's what the Bible says you have to do in order to have your sins forgiven. Are you willing to put to death that old man of sin, to surrender up your life as a living sacrifice to God, from now on to rise and to walk in newness of life, living for him who has forgiven you? Have you done that yet? If you have, maybe you're in that declaration stage. Maybe you're in that stage where you're a fairly new Christian. So far, life hasn't hit too hard, and, and, and you're so grateful, you're ready to go out there and just tell everybody about Jesus, and that's awesome. It's just awesome. But here's the thing. Do you know, do we understand that when we first start out as a Christian, and we have that joy and that confidence and that assurance and that declaration stage, that it's not supposed to be when life hits, we go this direction, but it's supposed to be as we learn and grow, it's supposed to get better, not worse. But life happens. Things don't always work out the way we want them to. And so we get to this point where we lose our joy and we get frustrated and, and we hit that, that desperation stage. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe life has just beat you silly. Maybe your life has not turned out the way you wanted it to or you thought that it would, especially if you're a Christian. Maybe the pain and the anguish and the effort, maybe you've done the right thing and all you've done, maybe you're spiritually hiding in a cave. You don't dare to come out. You've assumed a spiritual fetal position because life has just kicked you around so much. Maybe that's where you are. Are you in that desperation stage? Because I'm telling you, if you hang on to God as thoroughly in that desperation stage as you did that declaration stage, then you have a beautiful deliverance and destination waiting for you. We'll pray for you that your desperation stage be shortened. We will love you and help you any way we can. But maybe you're in that third stage. Maybe you're in that deliverance stage where God has brought you from a terrible dark valley and now you understand and you are so joyful and so grateful and you've come out of that cave, you've come out of that darkness, you've come out of that bad place you were. You've come out of that broken hearted phase where David was. You know God has forgiven you and, you and you've been delivered. Then you need to go forward to serve God with everything you've got every day. Because that's what they did when they were delivered. Where are you this morning? Do you need to be baptized to begin that walk, baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you need the prayers of the church because you're in a desperate place? Or do you need to walk out of this building this morning absolutely committed to serving God more than you ever had and telling everybody what an awesome God you have because he has delivered you? Where are you? 
If we can help you find where you are or come to a better place this morning, come right now, please, as we stand and as we sing.